an ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. The greatest thing holding people back from good sleep is that fragmentation of attention. The inability to sleep in corporate life is lack of planning. These are words from my guest on this episode of the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Ganesh Ramakrishnan is Manpower Group's Global Chief Technology Officer. Manpower Group is a Fortune 500 company. Ganesh came from Citigroup where he was most recently managing director, head of business programs and decision management for the EMEA consumer business segment. He's also a published author and a frequent speaker at industry conferences, universities, including London Business School. If you are in the corporate world, and wear poor sleep as a badge of honor, think again, Ganesh constantly moves through different time zones. And if you listen to this inspiring conversation, you'll see why I think of him as the planning genie. Ganesh shares his wise words and actionable steps on how to manage a very hectic life as a highly successful executive. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer Podcast. Welcome, Ganesh, to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. And you had pedigree education, something many people would be very envious about. And you have really had a very successful career as well. So along that way, many, many people in that whole growth towards success prioritize many things over basic necessities such as sleep and when there's high stress sleep can take a back seat so when you do share your story and I want to know every little intricate bit of maybe from when you were just finishing school to how you got to where you are today and in that if you can just interweave those little instances where your sleep took a back seat did that impact you in any way or maybe you've had great sleep all along. Either way, I just want to know all about that. Sure. No, thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Deepa. It's a pleasure for me to participate. So, yes, I, I did have the privilege and the fortune of uh, going into really good institutions and getting trained really well academically. But before that, uh, from school, a, it was a kind of an ambition for me to get into a good college since I was very keen, I started preparing for it. And one of, I mean, every uh, school kid, even in those days in India, used to dream about IITs. And I was no exception to that. So I decided that I would give it a shot. Uh, I was, of course, not very sure. In fact, I, I thought mo my chances were quite small. Nonetheless, I started preparing for it. 
So I prepared for my IITs for about two years. And I did it all on my own. I didn't go to any classes and so on. It was like neither did I think about it, nor I thought my parents would be willing to pay for all this stuff. So they basically said, hey, you know what? You have to do your stuff. You pass out and you make your life for yourself. You know, don't come to us for, with anything. I wish today's kids had the same kind of treatment because that really brings out much more responsibility and hard work and being able to take over uh, each person's life themselves. But nonetheless, faced with that, first time I started working long hours. Till then it was cool. You really didn't need to work or slog so hard. But in that class 11 and class 12, where you had the need to prepare for your board exams, which are also important, but at the same time prepare for competitive exams such as IIT, I had to start working long hours. And what I realized even at that time was if you were disciplined and you planned well, you had a much better chance of doing your stuff in a very planned manner. So not kind of overstretching, you know, when things are close by, not getting into a panic and still being able to do justice to what you study. And two years is a long time. So I went about it with a lot of dedication and planning, which helped a great deal. I did start eating into my sleep a little bit, but because I had that planning, I could kind of manage it quite well. So I used to get at least about seven hours of sleep every day, but generally over the two years, it was highly disciplined, highly focused, and a lot of hard work. Of course, I abandoned all my activities, hobbies, games, everything was abandoned, just study and nothing so, else. But when you say you planned for your sleep to get that average, what do you mean by planning? So overall, when I talked about planning, I was talking about the planning for the entire preparation for competitive exams. So over, the, over two years, I almost I had a, like a master plan, how I would prepare for it and how much I would do every month. So I went about it with a lot of rigor. And within a day, I just settled into a routine. So it was like a ritual that, hey, so many hours I would study, and then this is the time I would sleep, and the next day you would wake up and go to school. So because I had that rhythm and routine, I didn't have to kind of get by without sleep. For most of the days, I got seven hours and so. I also discovered that I was very sensitive to sleep, which meant that if I missed sleep, even by one hour, the next day would be like ruined. My productivity would just go down just not able to focus or concentrate. So I realized that I needed that sleep. And if I don't do, if I don't get that sleep, I did have a problem the next day. And waking up was also very difficult. So therefore I decided I would get plenty of sleep. In those days, nobody knew about how important sleep was. It, it was like, hey, I needed to get the sleep because otherwise next day wouldn't work well for me. So I was able to do that consistently. I must say, even on the eve of these very big exams, important exams, and so on, I would always get sufficient sleep. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't say this last day is four hours of sleep, not at all. Mm -hmm. The last day is still seven hours of sleep. You get that sleep, you're clear-headed, you go and write your exam. I wouldn't credit anything. I, I think I just fell into that habit, which was lucky for me, and I continued that. And when I entered into IIT, it was not more stressful than the preparation time. So getting into after getting into IIT, it was less stressful, I would say, uh, because you had a hostel and so on. You had friends and you fell into a different pattern and rhythm. But there too, what uh, I was able to do is be able to manage reasonable hours of sleep. 
most of the time when i had deprivation of sleep it was not because i had to study it was just chatting with friends till late in the night so it was just mm. you know uh, chatting doing whatever activity in the late in the night maybe just taking a walk having a cup of tea at 1 am kind of stuff so there was no kind of tension or stress at that time and there was no big grade this requirement to excel and compare yourself didn't happen much which was also very good so i didn't have this need to have to prove myself too much i got by quite well i must have been in the top maybe 10 15% of the class which uh, worked for me quite well and i had no sleep issues no sleep deprivation issues no stress issues during that time generally went off quite well i would say that the first time i did have a little bit of stress which did impact my sleep a bit was when i had to decide what to do after iit Hmm. There is something called paradox of choice. I'm sure there are so many less fortunate people than me who are like, you know, what can I do after I finish my college? I have no job, and here I was after finishing IIT. I had too many things I could do. So uh, should I have a job? And I had about three jobs waiting for me. The best companies in India. So is I that that sounds more like a paradigm of choice than a paradox? That's right. Yeah, you be that as it may. I really had a tough time making up my mind and it was it was really stressful. So should I go to the US and yeah I applied not very keen but I got scholarships from the best universities in the US. And then I said what about these IIMs you know should I take them? And then I applied and I got in as well. And this is like you know at least <laughs> if I hadn't succeeded then I had just no choice but one here I had multiple choices and then of course somebody said why don't you do post graduate in India and of course I got into the uh, post graduate system as well in IIT so they I wrote the exam and I cleared that as well so here I was and I was really perturbed somehow I wanted to f- go with my friends to the US uh, at the same time something was pulling me back I wasn't really mentally prepared and i couldn't figure out for myself why i wasn't keen to go to the us like everybody else here i was i had a scholarship uh it was the land of the promised land uh mm. and then you just go and that your life is made that is the fairy tale you know and i just couldn't make myself and that was really stressful so i start i did there was a period about 3 to 6 months where i remember i was quite disturbed and i was losing sleep for the first time in my life and for me if i lose sleep that's devastating because you know if i don't get enough sleep 6 hours instead of 7 hours you start feeling lethargic uh, less energy not able to focus and of course if you also worried on top of it which is the same worry which caused that then it doesn't work too well for you eventually i very grudgingly made the choice to go to i am uh, in this case i am bangalore and i was really not happy about it but i said okay you know let's go so it was for me you know some bad choice uh, but still i said i, I let, let's give it a try so i went to the campus at iim bangalore i didn't like it at all i said such a small campus when compared to iit then i went to the course i said this is so basic and after four years of the rigor of iit uh, the mba course was like a walk in the park and i said what have i got myself into you know <laughs> just do an mba and for me everything was like super easy the marketing and hr i just breezed through it and i said the i just got myself in the wrong place with a very av- it was like an average you know course 
average mm. and this is what we are talking about i am bangalore this is one of the top institutions and i was thinking remember coming uh, in the first term back home and i told my mom i'm not going, going to go back this is such a screwed up place there's nothing it offers <laughs> and uh, I, i better change uh, and go back to the us so maybe the offer will still be open so this thing went on for a little bit but after about 3 or 4 months i settled down and then i didn't look back i didn't look back i was like okay you know now this is it you know it's like a second rate choice but let me make the best of it i told myself it's funny because you know people don't think about i am like that at all so no, in my in mind fact, i must interrupt you for a second because my one of my podcast guests is the director of iim okay <laughs> now he'll be pretty surprised now it's all what works in the minds of young people right they all have different challenges that they go through and the internal world is the real world because you know what is the real world what you perceive so then after that i started settling down and i had plenty of free time i am was a breeze for me it was like i could just close my eyes and walk through it uh, i got scholarships for both the years so i didn't have to pay any fees i got a gold medal at the end of it after not studying at all i really didn't pay attention in the two years so i breezed through it i did extremely well i had no problems with sleep because i had nothing to do most of the time was spent idling around in the campus i attended just a few classes and i had plenty of time to myself and to spend with friends so the most non stressful time of my year was those two years today's mbas are not like that they are like heavily stressed out but in those days mm. things were different then i got into this job with the city bank this was like a very very sought after job you know city was american bank and uh, it, it, they they had this concept called a first day company you know so they're like the placement season the way it happens is that it stretches over two weeks and every day a bunch of companies come in and interview students and the minute you get a job you can't apply for another job the first oh. job you get is your job and that's it no more so that you know everybody doesn't compete for every job everybody mm-hmm. has got a free chance So then what happens on the the companies which come on day 1 have the widest choice they have all the toppers right and the companies which come in the end have the least choice because most people have dropped out and generally the people who haven't done too well in the courses are the people who are stuck till the last so city was a day 1 company and of mm-hmm. course the students ranked which company should come on which day they would say you know these are the companies which we want on the first day second day so the companies also felt very proud you know if you are a day one company at iim you're like wow you know we get the best choice so city was one such and uh, i remember that i went for the interview and i managed to get through that so i didn't you know go in for any other jobs so when i entered city after getting through the campus i remember that there was a lot of trepidation because you know it was a very tough employment uh, people talked about long hours lack of sleep a lot of iams there and if all young people it was like a disruptive startup within a very large organization that's how it was set out yeah and they were hiring iam graduates by the bucket so my batch was like some 40 50 iams and they were paying very well they they gave me a, a place to live in bombay so it was all very you know a very sophisticated top of the line the best paying job in the country and so on that's when i met kale mukesh incidentally he had joined from iim ahmedabad i joined from iimb so we became friends there there the days were very long and a lot of hard work combined with the kind of a little bit of stress of a new job 
what are you doing and how do you want to do it but even then i don't believe i missed out on sleep because you can sleep at 11 o'clock and get up at 6 o'clock and still you have had 7 hours of sleep and so i managed to get decent amount of sleep i was not sleep deprived we didn't have parties and so on during the week at all so no no late night drinking nothing like that so it was pretty clean i started off in bombay and then i came to chennai they transferred me to chennai which also where is where my parents uh, lived so i stayed with my parents and automatically it meant you had so much more order in life so i went through that phase quite well i did pretty well in city in the first 3 years you know so i did mm-hmm. pretty well i was almost ranked top in my cohort of 30 or 40 im graduates so it felt good and then i got married at the time during that time just before marriage maybe about 6 7 months i did have some stressful episodes of a personal nature which set me back a little bit and that stress caused me to consistently lose sleep and i think looking back i must it must have been a bit of kind of depression as well in those days you didn't know what the label was die, and how yeah. to yeah exactly. it's like hey you know you yeah. felt low that yeah. you felt low for a long period of time that yes. today people would say that's called depression so i was feeling quite low that that time i was also not getting good sleep and that was an extremely tough time the fact that i was you know stepping into marriage uh still holding on to a fantastic job but at the same time battling with this was really difficult and really you know i didn't know whom to turn to help there was no obvious unlike today you have zillions of people that you can turn to help your counselors uh, therapists and this and that natural remedies and so on there was nothing much i'm talking about 30 years back nothing much right. india so i struggled with that even so with that struggle i managed to settle into married life and also um i got moved to dubai so i moved left india i was continued with city bank but city mm. said here is a, a for you know high performers they kind of gave um assignments outside of india so they said hey we have an opening in dubai would you like to go i said yes of course and then off we went to dubai and so i started life in dubai as well but still my underlying problem of feeling a little low accompanied by sleep issues there was very dominant no when you say sleep issues what did it look like for you was it that you couldn't fall asleep did you find yourself falling asleep tired then waking up unable to go back to sleep not able to maintain sleep for long periods of time or having perhaps anxiety in the middle of the night which is common in sleep disorders in my case i didn't have too much problem getting to sleep and i would get to sleep for a reasonable amount of time even 6 hours or 7 hours without waking up in the middle but when i woke up i would be pretty groggy hmm. it it was as if i hadn't slept well enough you don't uh, wake up refreshed a lot of people think that if they get so many hours they've got sleep but people can sleep even 9 hours and not go through all the stages of sleep where then their deep restorative work of sleep just doesn't happen correct and i suspect that the restorative part and the various parts in you know, rem and so on was not well represented in that 7 hours that's why when i woke up i found myself just not refreshed it's like you know i'm feeling groggy having a bit of a headache 
difficult to get through the day and so on and this went on and on i didn't take any medication didn't consult anybody it was like living through a pretty tough time and that went on for at least 3 years and then i would say spontaneously uh, it, there was a spontaneous remission for no cause it just kind of tailed off and it was it became better work continued i don't think there was a at that time i still uh, dubai is not india i know it's it's not so competitive so it is much easier to manage life there city was a little old fashioned and bureaucratic in the middle east so it was not difficult for me uh, especially with my kind of cognitive skills it was not a big deal i could easily manage that job but i kind of got better in my personal life uh, through these through this episode and once it settled down i would say that i became even more sensitive to the lack of sleep earlier it would it would have been easy for me to if i wanted to say hey one day i'm going to sleep for 5 hours and next day i'll make up for it and it it wouldn't be a problem but after this episode if i miss a day the next day would be impossible to get through it was like hey if i had 5 hours of sleep then there's no point in my going to office i might as well come home in the afternoon get some rest and then i would yeah. be better so it was very clear the formula from that day onwards was i needed between 7 and 8 hours of sleep if i got less than that i could take an afternoon nap no problem and i could make up for it if i took an afternoon nap absolutely it would be it would balance it out if i didn't have it and i had to work i would end up with a headache and i would end up with lower levels of energy focus it's like you are like maybe about 50% of your normal self in the day if i didn't get my full quota of sleep so that's been the reality from then on and generally because i'm traveling all the time stressful time multiple time zones everything you can think of generally i make it a point to get good quality sleep are you at present having multiple time zones frequently very often yes so when you say you manage it how do you actually go about it because it's fascinating to read the research on circadian cycles and in fact the most research has been done on that whole shift shift workers and people who keep going through different time zones and there are usually some things which we prescribe nutritionally to support that but before i say anything i want to know when you say that uh, you manage it how what does managing look like for you as a busy executive in different time zones yes so the the reason uh, i i said that i have i have to go through different time zones is because of travel um, not yes. the minute of travel then i am in different time zones and my travel now i'm living in india and i often travel to europe and the us so there'll be two time zones uh, immediately over the over a course of one week perhaps generally as i go in i will have to have meetings immediately or the next day and these will be full day meetings they won't be it's not just saying hello to people so as a senior person i go in there'll be a lot of arrangements made for me and i get into very high quality meetings which i need to go through then you have dinners late night dinners and so on then sleep and the next day once again the cycle starts that is what happens when you travel because you try to pack in a lot of stuff right knowing this what i do is first and foremost or i always ensure that i don't arrive on a morning into a city and go directly to office after having taken a long transatlantic flight 
So if I if I travel to London, which is my most favorite destination, that's about ten hours from from Chennai. I would never land in the morning and then go to a meeting. I would always arrive the previous day in the afternoon or late late afternoon, and then go into the hotel and get sleep. So that's that's one thing I always do. The second thing I do is that, especially if I'm traveling to the U.S., which is 12 hour difference. So I land there; it's 11 and a half hours time difference. So if I land in the evening, just at the time it is night there, my clock tells me it's morning. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's how I land up every time. Once again, just like in Europe, I land the previous evening. I don't ever land in the U- in the U.S. and go to a meeting. The other technique that I do is as I'm flying westwards, I tend as much as possible not to sleep during the flight. So remember the flight itself could be about 20 hours. So right. 20 to 22 hours of flying. That's when most people are actually sleeping. I don't sleep. Okay. I might take naps. I may take like a one hour nap, one and a half hour nap just to keep me going. But I generally tend not to sleep. What do you do for 20 hours on a flight? Yes, that's a good thing. Mostly I watch movies. I might do some work and I might walk about a little bit, but generally, you know, kind of watch watch movies and keep myself occupied because by the time you're quite groggy, you can't sit and work. Uh, you know, you're like right. already you're needing sleep and it's very difficult. So I keep myself awake by just watching a few movies and so on. I take great care not to sleep more than a few hours, maybe two, three hours. I might doze a little bit, wake up again. So when I land in the US after almost 24 hours of no sleep, which for me, for my sensitive cycle, it's quite a bit that I missed. I'm really tired. I'm dead tired. So if I land in the hotel and I take a shower, I'm directly ready to go and get to sleep. So 6 p.m. in the evening, is by normally when I reach my hotel in the US, I time it accordingly. I can sleep at 6 p.m. soundly. So some of my colleagues take various uh, you know, pills and all that. I don't believe in taking any kind of medicines at all. I just go in and of course I take, I don't drink much. I don't drink at all in the flights at all, zero. And I take very light food. So if they- What do you mean by light food? So what I mean is normally these guys in business class, they ply you with a lot of food. You know, they give you two or three times in, in, the, in the range of 20 hours, you'll probably get four meals. In four meals, I would only take two. So I, I would take two, but refuse two of them. I would always skip desserts. So I keep myself reasonably well hydrated. So I take those choices. And what has worked for me is that the minute I do that and I go there, I uh, hit the bed at 6 p.m. Next day, I wake up, let's say at 5 a.m. I get really good restorative sleep during that time, maybe 10 hours of sleep. And I am I wake up totally refreshed and in that new time zone. Excellent. I mean, this is like guidebook of how to manage circadian rhythm in a time zone difference. Yes. So it's worked well for me in the past five years because I've repeatedly done this every time I do this. What made you actually think about this? Because at some point when you started traveling, it's so common to just fall asleep on the flight. Are you an innate planner in everything? Because you spoke to me about your planning way back in 
to get into iit so it looks as if your personality itself is built to look at the nitty gritties of what's going on behind yeah generally you know you think about things right you and you try to figure out what you can do i mean you you can only do what you can do instead of just submitting to what has to happen so a little of that and maybe a little the fact that i can keep myself awake by seeing movies you know many people get tired seeing movies in my case it doesn't matter i just flip on something and keep seeing it so those kind of both of them helped and the first time i found this work for me of course the next time onwards i was following it rigorously the reverse uh, when i come back from the us back to india till recently it, it has always been a problem i always used to have issues of flying eastwards and when i try the same technique it doesn't work well enough even though i might come late evening back to india or sometimes even early morning you know 3 am in the morning somewhat difficult to get to sleep even if you get to sleep i always find myself very sleepy during the day and that sleepiness would persist for up to 2 weeks so it takes 2 weeks for me to get out of the earlier time zone in the first in the first week a little bad and the next week over time getting better so what do you think is the explanation for that difference between eastward and westward i think on the eastward because i am arriving when dawn is breaking and you're expected to adjust to that and i've actually not had sleep properly on the flight the exact opposite is happening mm. that you you continue to need sleep according to the original time zone from where you left and so the important thing then to is to do is actually flip this equation and get as much sleep as possible on the flight so if you do that and yeah. i'm trying that out a little bit it does help generally mm. it helps so eastward flying you try and get as much sleep as you can and it all depends on when you land because you know if you're landing during the day then you should land after having slept well if you're landing in the night uh, let's say 7 a 7 pm in the night then you should be in a such a situation that you can get to sleep in which case you should be a little sleep deprived so a lot of my colleagues what they do there are people who travel even more frequently than me what they do is that the minute they get into the flight they set their watch according to the destination right and when they set their watch they say hey let's say it's whatever time in the flight it's 8 pm then they take a pill like oh. a sleeping pill uh, they right. normally favor ambien ambien is the one they often tell me they have a few tablets of ambien they pop it and they are totally you know gone to sleep yeah okay? but you know those medication are highly highly addictive in many cases maybe not in everybody but there's a very large percentage who then ends up with so many not just addicted to the sleep medication but it actually has a spillover effect on other things like transit time from uh, eating to elimination everything slows down so there's so much impact in the physiology that it's really not at all wise to be relying on that for a solution that's exactly what i also thought which is why i never went there but you know some of these guys say it works very well for them of course they are very highly fit highly paid execs who know about all of this and they are having busy lives and they say this is the only way for me to get into a particular city and then be totally fresh and do what you have to so the compulsions of this very busy life has made them look at this as a solution in my case i try my best to adjust my schedule so that i'm a little kinder on myself when i travel 
I don't need to prove anything. It's right. fine. You know, I don't need to tell people that, hey, you know what? I just got off the flight. I've showered and I'm here and I'm the whole day. Exactly. Yeah, there is a stress and poor sleep are worn like a badge of honor a lot in the corporate world. So it is become almost a way that people discuss it that I have high stress and that also I feel somewhere can slip into becoming an excuse for poor choices in food, alcohol, stimulants, lifestyle. So it can definitely tip over into poor choices. I would agree. So if you are in control of yourself very well, mentally in control of yourself, then you don't need to prove yourself and you don't need to then slip into all of these to keep it going. So when you lose control, then you lose self-discipline. You lose the ability to say not to say, to say no to many of these things. And then you say, this is it. You know, this is how I'm living my life. So I'm, I've tried my best to, you know, maintain that control and to be able to not use this lack of sleep as validation that you're working really hard. Of course, a lot of people tell me this. I run into many meetings and people would make a big deal of this, right? That, you know, I just, yeah, I've been working flat out for the past four days. I just had in the past 48 hours, five hours of sleep. Mm. And then everybody would gaze at them with admiration and say, wow, you know, this phenomenal man, you know, how well. This often happens with men. It doesn't happen with women. Yes. With men, often it happens. And these people would feel really happy about the fact that they have got away without sleep. I have never had that problem. I mean, it's okay. I I just tell them it's amazing that you were able to do that. I could just not do it and I wouldn't do it. And I always tell them generally, if you're doing this, it means it's lack of planning. It just shows lack of planning and lack of the ability to manage your work. So I think the better way to do it is if you plan well enough, you don't need to get into this panic situations and uh, have this enormous stress building up. It's also the case that I don't respond well to stress. For some people, stress is very positive in the sense that you, they, they use stress to jump through and do a lot of work in a very compressed time frame. And they utilize this as a weapon to push themselves very hard and their teams to get things done. So in my case, uh, stress leads to worry and anxiety. Yeah. What does anxiety look like for you personally? So just describe what happens, when it happens, when do you experience, how long does it go on? Yes, the most important thing about anxiety is that, in my case, is that repeatedly thinking of the issue, the issue again and again. So that that's the characteristic marker for me. I immediately know that means I'm anxious. You, you're doing something, your thoughts go back to the pattern, like, hey, what do I do? How do I solve it? Or the feeling that has produced anxiety in the first case. You go back to that and you start thinking about that again and again and mulling over it. And it it's not that it's just one day. It could be the next day and the day after. Then How about during the night? Generally, not yeah, sleep. only in a very few times it has happened. Generally, I have been, you know, able to get to sleep and, and sustain it through the night. But sometimes difficulty in getting to sleep if mm-hmm. one is anxious. Uh, fortunately, these are far, a few and far between. But the reason I'm saying that is, that's why I actively try to uh, avoid situations which are high stress situations, which are more likely to cause anxiety. You know, the minute you get into stressful situations, anxiety will follow. 
of course there are other areas at times when you, it's not stressful it could be a discussion with somebody or altercation or an argument or it could be anxiety about your future uh, status and so on those are nothing to do with, with a stressful situation or work pressure but it could be other life situations so in these cases what happens and how do i deal with it generally i don't deal with it well i don't know how to solve for it you know so you're anxious you have a problem how do you solve i don't know so i can write it down i can use cbt techniques and so on i know cbt i've read about it but uh, as to some extent it could help discussion with my wife of course will help a little bit certainly what i tend to see is over time it comes down i mean mm-hmm. it doesn't sustain for too long if it sustains for too long like what happened in the in the time you know when i was just leaving india for dubai then it will lead to really bad uh, situations deep issues yeah maybe it could lead into depression very rapidly right so i know about that so i am on the watch for it so, so physiologically one, does it look like racing heart or nervousness restlessness all of it no racing heart i think physiologically i would say restlessness and the inability to sleep but not adrenaline pumping through and racing heart no and not generally what i have also done probably because of my early experiences and my tendency to plan and think of solutions which are long term and sustainable i started doing meditation so now i've been meditating every day without a break for 15 years so every day i spend about half an hour Do doing you have a specific practice yes indeed so this practice it's called sahaj marg and it's got a new name called heartfulness meditation it's been rebranded and it's now quite popular i kind of took it up uh, i would say maybe 2003 so uh, it's like more than 15 years now 15 years of constant and i practice it without a break every single day mm-hmm. and i of course it has a very deep spiritual background to it even keeping aside the spiritual background just knowing that meditation is helpful i know extremely well that it's extremely helpful it's calming it has long term benefits well beyond the time you're meditating because you know the meditation reflection response continues during the day and it's been extremely helpful for me it also conditions your mind differently because you're able to perceive things in life through a different lens so the same situation affects different people differently so if you're able to take a step back and say you know it doesn't matter you know what the hell success you don't need to have this level of success or what does success so, really look so like so what you're talking about is a, a feeling of gratitude surrender what you say calming i actually say physiologically you're shifting from a sympathetic nervous system response to parasympathetic right right and so 15 years of meditation i'm sure would have had some permanent changes of course if when you are through it you don't detect those but certainly i must credit the fact that i'm able to stay on even keel despite what could be very stressful is i owe it to this uh, lifelong uh, you know practice of meditation in fact research recently has found that corpus callosum between the two hemispheres of the brain is actually gets thicker with long term practice of meditation so the communication between the two hemispheres is greatly improved and right. this is actually scientific research right 
I'm totally can understand. It's like the brain is as a whole rather than the left and the right, and the communication is so much better. So that has helped. Uh, about five years back, or six years back, I also started doing more active exercise. I was never a physically active person. I used to go to work, come back, have my food, sleep, and then get up. And that used to be my routine. Then I said, enough is enough. So now I joined the gym. I got a trainer. And now I dedicate maybe 45 minutes every day to some physical activity uh, in addition to meditation, which also I think helps because your physiology, your you know, kind of metabolism slows down with age. And so you need to keep it up. When you're the age of 20, you're generally far more fitter with the same lifestyle or even a worse lifestyle. But at the age of 50, uh, with the same lifestyle, you can become pretty uh, unhealthy, you can gain weight and so on. So that I have also practiced. I'm practicing now every day, every day, 45 minutes to one hour. Before COVID, I had a trainer as well. So I had to really go and do proper exercise one to one and a half hours at the gym every alternate day. So that also helps. So what I decided, uh, Deepa, was this. I know that I'm getting into this pretty stressful situation uh, as an exec with traveling and this and that. I decided you have to be super disciplined about it. And so super discipline is food thinking and ability to, you know, how you view life, exercises like meditation, coupled with good exercise, physical exercise. So all of this I do. And my diet also, I tend to be quite sparing. I mean, I tend to avoid rich stuff. I'm totally vegetarian. I used to be a casual drinker before and now stopped it totally zero. Mm-hmm. So I just say no to everything and I'm, I'm okay. So I think those things help uh, is what I think. Take me through when you're not traveling, when you are here in India, take me through your whole day from when you wake up, your whole routine from morning to when you go to bed. Yeah. So 7am not, I never wake up early. 7 is the earliest I wake up and do about 30 to 40 minutes of meditation. That takes me all the way to about 7.45. By about 8, I have breakfast. uh, What is breakfast? Breakfast, generally in India, for the past past five years, has been four idlis every day. So it's quite a light breakfast. Have a cup of tea, have breakfast. By about uh, 9.30 is when I would head to the gym. So the first half of the day, I don't need to work because most of the work is back-ended during the day. I work okay. USRs, even oh. even sitting in India. So then I head, which is all lucky. So I just made it work for myself. Mm. So I then head to the gym, say 9.30 to 10.30, I'm at the gym. So one hour, uh, you know, flat. Then I come back home, maybe by, have a bath. By the time it's 11 o'clock, from 11, 11.30, I start my work. So I go to work, where my workplace, thankfully, is very close by. So I go to work and from 11 to about four, I'm working in the office. I have a lunch. Uh, all my meals are always timed. So I, I don't do late stuff. One thing that I've commonly heard with busy executives is I can't keep the time you tell me. And I said that, look, you can keep your own routine, but just keep it fixed every single day. But I'm often told that you don't understand and our life is very hectic. So do you disagree with that? I completely disagree. So I'm, I've, I've been working in a senior position for a long time and I can't disagree more. So you can easily keep your time if you are willing to give it priority. So this right. whole thing is not about whether what you can do. What is your priority? Exactly. Does anybody say, you know, I just can't brush my teeth every day. You know, you don't understand. Deepa, exactly. You know, I, 
you brush your teeth. So if this is a priority, it's a priority. That's it. And if you find that your work just cannot allow you to take your lunch at the same time, then leave the damn job. That's it. That, that's what is priority all about. So mm-hmm. you have to make it clear or you have to talk to your homeover and say, I'm sorry, I need that time. You know, I'm going to sleep or I need to take a break. I have to go for lunch. They may look at you peculiarly, right. but it's about you asserting yourself on these items and being very clear about the personal boundaries that are important for you. If you can draw those personal boundaries within reason, because, you know, obviously everybody needs a job, they need to take pay and they have a particular personality. And most Indians suffer from the problem of the inability to say no. That's a deep seated personality. Yes. And it's very tough to go against it. I understand it is you have to find some coping mechanisms to be able to speak up and say that this is very important for me. Yes. So if you're able to say that and speak up for yourself, then you can do it. Nobody will have a problem if you want to eat your lunch at one o'clock. What's the big deal is half an hour of time. My lunch always is at 1 p.m. My assistant secretary knows that she has to put the time. So she will have a meeting called lunch. Hmm. calendar there is a meeting called dinner that's an excellent tip actually i think more people should actually implement that yes so for the next one year if you look at my calendar the only two things you will see every day is lunch (laughs) and dinner lunch and dinner it's always there so that nobody else will put a meeting in that time and nobody else can you know shove my calendar and come into my calendar so i have my lunch light lunch you know like four rotis or something it's not a very light lunch reasonable lunch i would say with some vegetable always generally home food only i tend to carry food from home i never eat outside if possible evening i come back home by about 5 p.m and then i have evening calls starting 5 p.m all the way till about 10 p.m five hours of calls i have so it's continuous Again, there will be a break for dinner. So I will ensure that I don't have a call at 8 o'clock, no matter what. So 8 o'clock, I'll go finish my dinner, 30 minutes, come back to my desk, and then I I continue. I'll see if I can uh, walk around when I'm having calls. So, you know, I don't stick around in one place. Walk around a little bit so that I don't stay in one place for too long. But often if it's video calls like this one, I'm sitting in one place. And by about uh, 10... Sometimes 11 o'clock is when I finish my work. So I'm really tired by that time. And I would do something to relax myself. Either watch the telly for about half an hour, read a book for about 30 minutes. And then I finally have about 10 to 20 minutes of meditation before I go to sleep again. So you're sleeping only around midnight. I am sleeping only around midnight. And I'm uh, so between 11 and 12, I sleep. And then I wake up between 7 and 8. 7 7 a.m. is generally when I wake up. So I I tend to get about 7 to 7.5 hours of sleep every day. That's my schedule pretty much on the days I'm in in, in India. So a lot of businesses all over the world are trying to prioritize sleep for their employees because they're working different time zones, long hours, and they have seen that sleep is intricately connected to productivity, efficiency, Do you feel that businesses in India are incorporating tools like this, like having a little sleep zone, areas where employees can catch a power nap if they are there for a very long time? Do you feel that companies need to be doing something like this to help themselves improve uh, employee efficiency? 
Yes, no, I definitely think so. Um, most companies don't do it. It's quite alien to them to think about afternoon CSTARs or naps or power naps. Uh, in the Middle East and in Spain, they have time for that. So if yes. I was in Dubai for some time and it's, it's like two hour lunch break. So you go home and you're expected to sleep and come back, Spain <laughs> as well. So, but they are different cultures. So here that concept doesn't have, the important thing is not about providing a retreat in the office, but the cultural labeling that comes with it. It got to remove that. It's actually sleep is seen as a luxury uh, for execs. And that's a macho thing to say that I don't sleep, I'm working constantly. Exactly. So that culture has to, Go and people should understand how important sleep is to well-being and that link has to be made explicit. So two more questions which I ask everybody. 100 million people in the world with diagnosed sleep disorders. This is not counting who's not talking about it and there are a lot of people in India who are not diagnosed with sleep disorders. They just silently having poor sleep. So what do you feel is the biggest root cause of poor sleep? And I'm not asking only in a corporate life, but generally, what would you feel is the biggest reason that's holding people back from quality sleep? I think nowadays, after seeing, you know, young people around, my both my daughters as well, it's this fragmentation of attention and the invasion of electronic and social media into day-to-day lives. That's the biggest single cause for yes. poor sleep. So on one hand, throughout the day, your attention is being broken into micro slices and human attention is not meant to be like that. You're supposed to go deep, get absorbed, finish something, do a great job and come out, feel happy about it. And then you go into some other activity. You can't do it every five seconds. The other problem with social media is the constant comparisons it invites uh, with others. So I always tell my daughters that all of the media that you see portrays people at their best selves. They always show themselves when they've gone on a holiday, when they've conquered something, when they've done a great thing or they've written a book. And you think all people around you are super people and you're the only person who is not. And you feel vulnerable and it actually makes you feel vulnerable and holds you back from so many things which you're potentially capable of doing. That's exactly right. So when you live in a micro community, you are seeing real life people 24 by 7 and then you understand who they are. That's the real living people in flesh and blood. And you know the highs and lows, you know their entire personality and where what they're good and what they're not. And then that gives you reassurance that you can be valued for yourself. So this kind of having a very small you know, Instagram post of somebody and thinking that they are that person and you are not that is uh, really, really damaging for people. And if you look at same IIT campus today, when compared to when I was, there is so much of um, mental disorders in the campus mm. uh, amongst these students who have everything. Why should they be so stressed? So it's because of this. So I think we have to get people to understand and calm down and uh, not get into this mad race. So I want you to complete my mantra at the Sleep is for a podcast, which is if sleep is the new medicine, then. Sleep is the new medicine, then we should be looking at it very seriously and as a society change our attitudes to sleep and almost kind of prescribe it especially to younger people and say you know tell them how important it is 
and expose them to the benefits of sleep uh, so that they understand and they get this habit early on and they don't kind of disregard the importance of sleep. Ganesh, thank you so much. Exciting conversation and so many takeaways, which I actually always I put together an image based handout of every speaker and all the tidbits that they've shared. So I'm going to do one for your episode as well. Here's words from a very successful executive in a corporate world. And please take note of how important sleep is and how you need to prioritize sleep. Sleep is not something that you leave behind or where you display poor sleep like a badge of honor. And it's going to improve your productivity, efficiency, the quality of your relationships and the whole essence of your life. Thanks for listening to us and great takeaways from this episode. Thank you so much, Deepa. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the show. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. This is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a medical practitioner. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. Be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. Thank you.